it starts off as being quite complicated, but in the end it becomes very simple. It really is the only way. Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin can mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Uh, I think as a first, uh, I'm not entirely sure. You, you know, feel free to point out to me if I'm wrong on Twitter. But I think, well, I've certainly not heard a female boomer on a Bitcoin podcast before. So thank you, Angela, for agreeing to come on the show. Very brave of you. And thank you for doing the, the work that you'd already done in conjunction with CoinFloor, where you were helping them out spread the word to... Uh, people of your generation as well, as well as anybody else that watched it. I think it's brilliant and, um, a, you know, a big leap for you to take. Really, really yeah, a huge thanks. You know, we're always, always talking about uh, lurkers on Twitter. You're not even on Twitter. <laughs> so, you, you, but you stepped up and you, you've put something forward to, to help people uh, become educated about Bitcoin. So, I won't give too much away about the show, but really appreciate Angela coming on. And I hope you guys really enjoy this one. Quick shill for the usual suspects. Of course, CoinFloor, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. If you are in the UK, start stacking some sats. And if you're over in the US, big thank you to everybody over there that's tuning in and sharing and listening to the show. It's been um, uh, amazing how well received it's been. Really appreciate it. Go and check out swan, swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. If you don't know about them, they are now across all of the states in the US and are one of the you know great movers in the space, built a great Bitcoin team. Both of these companies have amazing customer service. Both of these companies have a focus on Bitcoin only. And both of these companies have a brilliant onboarding process where they're going to walk you through it if you need so there's there's zero barrier to entry go start stacking let's get into this podcast with angela i hope you enjoy it take care and thank you for listening hey guys welcome to this edition of the once bitten podcast and joining us is angela who you may or may not have seen you definitely go and check it out the the videos that she did for coinfloor.co.uk where uh, she's been um, helping the guys there uh, educate uh, more and more people about Bitcoin. So, Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Lauren is here, as usual, to ask the first question. I said this question a couple of times, but... Okay. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, so, why did he decide to buy Bitcoin? Ooh. Well, it's a very, very long story, Lauren. But um, I did it, first of all, as kind of a game, really. It was a little bit of an experiment. And uh, I just thought I'd try it out just to see how it went. Um, and I had a little bit of money, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. So I thought, well, let's just pop it into Bitcoin and just sit back and see what happens, really. So it was, I guess, a little bit of... Uh, speculation, just hoping it was going to go that way rather than that way. Um, so that was my first time that I got into it, first time round. But it's kind of changed and expanded and opened up a bit since then. But first time round, it was just a little bit of fun. I don't know if you've heard of people um, putting a bet on a horse in a horse race before or um, oh. cycle race, something like that. So it was a little bit like that. It was like um, putting a little bet on a horse and just seeing if it was going to win or not. That's probably the, the easiest way to explain it. Does that answer the okay, question? Cool. <laughs> I wish more people did that. Yes. That's why Angela's on the show, to, to yes, try and help more people understand exactly. it. Exactly. Spread the word. <laughs> well, thank you for your question. Good question. Uh, thank you. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. À la prochaine. Thanks, Angela. That's okay. Uh, so just just to give it a little bit of 
context um, to to the listeners yeah. who um, might be wondering about who you are because mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to come and find you. Uh, nope. You're not on Twitter <laughs> or Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> which Below uh, the radar. Brilliant. Um, now, I, I think that's more... Um, well, is it... Is that a choice out of necessity or is that something um, just... On the coin floor interviews, you you yeah. introduce yourself as a in air quotes a sixty something. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, is is the reason you're not on these social platforms because of uh, your demographic, or I think it's a combination of things. Really, I mean, definitely, I am not a digital native. You know, the whole kind of space is very challenging for me on a technical level. Um, so I'm not really that comfortable with um, computers and the internet and IT, all that kind of thing. Um, it's not something that I grew up with. So for me, it's very much a challenge and something that I find quite stressful to deal with, actually. So there's that side of it, there's kind of the sort of techie, tech phobia or mechanical side of it, if you like, that is a discomfort. Um, but also... I'm quite a private person and I quite like to keep myself away from that kind of whole being out, oversharing, being too much in the public arena. Um, I'm great with words. I'm happy writing away, um, but I'm not too keen on um, the whole sort of Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, that side of things. Just it's, it's not my not my cup of tea. Really, so it's partly demographic, partly technical, and partly just my own kind of privacy, really. And I'm not really happy about wow. the whole so the whole da data sharing side of things too. And I think that if I choose to share my data, mm -hmm. that's one thing. But I don't like the idea of my data being harvested and kind of being put to a use that I maybe not entirely aware of. I think there's a certain lack of transparency in the whole way that the data is actually collected and mined and harvested and passed on. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's a little bit of a factor too. Well, with all of that in mind and, you you know, a self-confessed uh, technophobe, you still managed to worm your way into the world of Bitcoin, which is really <laughs> very, very interesting. And I really want to get down to that rabbit hole, of course. Um and I think it's probably, I don't know, I think I can probably safely say you're probably the first female boomer to appear mm. on on a podcast, the Bitcoin podcast. There's very few females in the space, unfortunately, it's true. more and more, it's true. which is great, it's true. Uh, are coming through. And um, very few uh, people of your age um, from, from, you know, uh, either sex really, uh, which is yeah. again, brilliant to, to have you on the show. And, and the reason I wanted to get you on was seeing, yeah. seeing your delivery on the coin floor ads. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, before we get to that, uh, yeah. and first of all, actually funny story, yeah. uh, I saw it and I texted Obi, actually I called Obi really? straight away. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I said, is Angela an actor or is she one of you? He's like, no, 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 mate, mate, don't like Dan. Of course, she's a customer. I'm like, yeah, that is that's amazing. How oh, I'm did blushing you, now. Like, this is, yeah. <laughs> so we set the call up, and uh, and here we are. Yeah. Um, so, but what about like your your previous life um, growing up? If if we can go through the the story, Ooh, life before Bitcoin. Um, well, I grew up in Bournemouth, actually. And got away as quickly as I could, went to uni. My academic background, social anthropology, specialising in um, Southeast Asia region. Mm. And after uni, I went into advertising sales, which wasn't really my cup of tea. I wasn't really motivated by targets and um, that kind of financial goals. It wasn't really my thing. So I thought I'd rather be on the opposite side of the desk. I'd rather be buying advertising than selling it. So I kind of wormed my way into um, a marketing job. That led me into the area of product development. So I rose to quite a senior position in international product development um, in the cosmetic sector. And I had a really, really good, solid career there 
which ended under quite traumatic circumstances, which we may come back to at some point. I then retrained because I'm a great believer one door closes and another door opens. You know, that I know it's a bit bit of a cliche, but it's very much true. So I started again, retrained as a teacher of English as a second language and headed off to Japan, where I taught English for four years, discovered that the best job on the planet was teaching English at university in Japan. Why? Because they have three 10-week terms a year, <laughs> fantastic salary, and what better place to be than to as a springboard to travel, which is one of my big passions in life. One catch, I had to have an MA. So I came back, did my MA at Oxford Brooks in Social Anthropology of Japan, then fell pregnant with my son. So that kind of put those plans on hold. So set myself up um, with my own business teaching because by this stage, I had two very valuable assets. I had a really solid business career and I had a teaching career. And there's another cliche. Stop me if I'm too full of cliches because I do like a cliche. <laughs> Those them. who can do those who can't teach. And a lot of people right. who've gone straight into teaching, I mean, you know, all due respect, um, they can teach, but they, especially when it comes to high level business teaching, they didn't have that real kind of inside knowledge of how business works. So that gave me a real added value USP, if you like. So I was teaching at um, city, big banks, big international banks in the city. And a lot of the teaching I was doing there, yes, it was language, but a lot of it was to do with the culture of doing business, which again brought me back to the anthropology. So things kind of go, you know, in mysterious ways. It's a bit like a carpet. You don't really know the pattern until you look back on it. So I was able to weave all those things together and um, moved back to Bournemouth when my mother became ill. So I was caring for her began teaching in Bournemouth, teaching English, business and finance. And I was there until about five years ago when um, the school I was working for was taken over by another school and they gave us the option of a zero hours contract, which I said um, didn't take me terribly long to make up my mind on <laughs> that one. So then Another door closed, another door opened. I started again and I followed up something I'd been doing on the side, which was proofreading and editing um, academic manuscripts pre-publication back in the anthropology of Southeast Asia again. So that's my speciality now. I work with students who are working in that area, especially in gender and politics. Somehow I've kind of fallen into that um, kind of speciality. So I'm a self-employed proofreader and copy editor. Um, and that's how I spend my time now. Wow. That is a, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's lots, there's Sorry, lots going there's on. Sorry, there's a lot of editing to do there probably. <laughs> no way. All of that stays in, 100% of it. Uh, and so you, you did mention there that we might come back to, you, you mentioned a, like a traumatic situation. Mm, mm, uh, mm. Thought that might what was that? capture your interest. Because <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things about Bitcoin, apart from the um, speculative, you know, bet on the race that I, I said to Lauren, um, the libertarian aspect of it, the philosophical aspect of it really interests me. So I had a very traumatic experience. I was part of a product development team that was given a target um, to be number one brand in volume and value. And it took us seven years to actually achieve that target, at which point we were all called into the office Christmas Eve, 1989, and given 20 minutes to clear our desks. Um, quite traumatic. To be punished for being successful was a little bit of a, you know, difficult one to sort of come to terms with, really. If we lost our jobs because we'd failed to achieve the target, that would be one thing. But because we got to where we wanted to be, then the company sold us off and we were left redundant. And the twist in the tail was that we couldn't work for another brand in the sector for another three years. So not only did we lose our jobs, 
we couldn't go anywhere else because product development being what it is, we knew everything that was going to happen over the next two or three years. So that's what led me into teaching because I thought I'm never, ever, ever again going to be part of that big kind of corporate structure because nobody is indispensable. It doesn't matter, you know, how good your results are, uh, what you've actually achieved on paper. You are very, very vulnerable to being um, downsized or whatever the current metaphor is. Um, so I thought at least if I'm teaching, I'm kind of more independent. I'm working on my own. I'm not really reporting to anybody. I'm not kind of caught up in that whole sort of corporate hierarchy. And I can be a little bit more independent in my decision making. I can go where I want. You know, that really kind of appealed to me, having been kind of chewed up by the machine and then spat out. Um, and I think Bitcoin, again, it does have that idea of self-sovereignty and the idea of being in control of your own resources and your own assets. So I think that, again, dovetails together quite nicely for me. But the trauma yeah. is still there. I mean, I think it's if it's happened to anybody, I know, again, I was able to kind of turn it around. And, yes, it was. In the end, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. But at the time, it was uh, pretty nasty, pretty difficult. Yeah. Situations like that, that mm. you know, they, they, they stick in your mind for really a long time. Did, yeah. And I was having a conversation at, at the time of this release, mm -hmm. the, the other interview should have been released with uh, uh, an older guy in, uh, in the US, a trucker right. named Bubba. Okay. And I asked him the, the rabbit hole story and he said, yes. Dan, I've been falling down the rabbit hole since 1985. Yeah. And... You know, it, it's these kind of situations that you come up against in your life mm -hmm. that almost, and I, I would I would wager most people have had something happen to them in their life that when they discover Bitcoin, mm. that, that thing primed them. Exactly. It was an absolute, sorry to interrupt, but it really was like connecting a dot and it really helped to kind of make sense of, what had happened then and it, it was just a kind of yeah like a pattern in a carpet really it, it, it did sort of make it make it was a reasonable fit logical fit and that's a light bulb moment for you a light bulb you, moment well, how did definitely. how did you what was the first touch point when did bitcoin first present itself to bitcoin you? presented itself to me when i was teaching a friday finance module in my language school here in Bournemouth and dressed down Friday. I always tried to keep it casual and I used to kind of forage around and look for a kind of funky story that we could use as a discussion point in class to get away from all the kind of um, sort of syllabus and like mainstream teaching materials. And I found a tiny little paragraph with a little Bitcoin logo in the Financial Times. I think it was tiny. It was only about, you know, eight lines long. And it just kind of piqued my curiosity, really. And I brought it into class and we kind of, you know, chatted about it uh, with the students. Um, and it was just really a 40-minute discussion point, really, in class. And they were quite, some of them were more enthusiastic about it than others. But it kind of sort of lodged at the back of my mind. And I thought, this is interesting. I'm going to keep an eye on this um, from a kind of academic point of view, something I could use as a teaching aid, really. So it was a sort of professional way in that got me into it, I'd say. Um, and then that would have been about 2015, I would say. And I had a little tiny bit of money and I thought, I might just buy a few. Few. For a, I think I had about 200 quid. I thought, oh, I could buy five. And just sort of see what happens, really. Rather than buying premium bonds or sticking it, you know, into a savings account, I thought, you know, I'm Irish by um, ancestry, so we do like a flutter. And I thought, let's just kind of, let's just see how it goes. One problem. I didn't have an online bank account. Okay. I thought, not meant to be. I just left it. Didn't think very much more about it. Then maybe a year or so later, my local branch closed. So I was forced to get an online bank account. And in the process of getting the online bank account, it kind of again, oh, 
no, I've got an online bank account. Maybe I can actually go back and buy some Bitcoin. Of course, by this stage, I probably was only able to buy a fifth of a Bitcoin, you know, not, not five. Um, and in the meantime, I'd been quite frustrated because I wanted to follow Bitcoin, but the mainstream media, it, it just wasn't there. And that made me quite cross, actually. And the only coverage I could find on it was very kind of patronising, very sneery, very much highlighted it as being a scam or a fake. And people were fools. They were suckers. You know, they were going to be sort of um, fleeced of all their money. And I'm not denying that there isn't that element there. But the media coverage was definitely not balanced, number one. Neither was it comprehensive. So I went on a quest, and that brought me into the rabbit hole of the alternative media space. And I came across the Kaiser Report on RT, hated it at first, because the opening segment I found just like too over the top, you know. And I mean, Max is very, can be very full on um, in that first 15 minutes, and I, I didn't like that at all. But one time he was a little bit calmer and I actually made it through to the second half of the show where he does really, really good um, interviews with, and again, not just finance people. There could be anybody on there from any kind of walk of life. And suddenly I realised, hang on a minute, there's a whole kind of community out there. It's not just kind of nerdy, geeky kind of techie guys in San Francisco. It is like ordinary people um and but people from you know academic background finance background um artistic background creative background and i just became a, a really um big fan of the show and then through that show that then opened more doors and i i found other people on there other guests there who I began to kind of look into their work, but not so much. And that's how I first came across RAL as well and the Real Vision um, platform. And coming back to what I was saying about Twitter, another reason I don't, I don't like bite-sized chunks of anything. I, I prefer a more kind of in-depth treatment. And I like more, you know, the, the interviews on Real Vision and, and that Max does, they can get quite deep you know, and, and extended. And I like that format. It, it, it appeals to me. Have I answered the question? I feel I've kind of wandered off, off the point a little bit. Can't remember yeah. what the, even the question was. And oh, how did I get into it? Yeah, the, the whole alternative Raul. media thing. That's right. Yes. So then <clears throat> that's how I began to kind of learn more about it. And I think one of the, the hallmarks of a good teacher is to remain a student. And I think it's very important to put yourself in the position of the student. You know, you, again, you're not just out there. It's very easy if you teach to just be in that position of delivering knowledge. And I think it's quite good to be humble and to put yourself on the other side and to be a student of something and to keep challenging yourself to learn. So for me, this was like a huge kind of learning curve because all my issues, all the walls that I had with all the tech side of it, I had to just pull my socks up the bullet and kind of dive in there um and it was just like diving in and see what i, I had no idea you know where i was gonna if i was gonna come up the other end um but yeah i think that's that's kind of good principle to, to keep studying and keep learning and then that then allows you it in, informs and improves your own teaching i think i didn't really have very i was just sort of keeping an eye on it and and again I found the whole process of buying it, the wallets, the this, the that, the other thing, I found it really, really stressful to manage, you know, opening up this and opening up that and transferring that. And it just, I found it really, really, really difficult. And I often had to call my son in to help me because um, I just used to get like in an absolute panic. Um, was the money definitely going to go there or was it going to turn up? And what was this code and that code? And the whole thing was quite overwhelming, really. So I, 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 my initial amount that I put in, I just kind of left there until halfway through 2017, I had a significant birthday and I had a pension and I wasn't sure what to do with it. 
So I began to really think then about retirement being on the horizon and where should I put this money to work? Um, not in terms of uh, an investment looking for a high rate of return, but just somewhere where I could maybe make sure it was going to be safe and, if possible, you know, get a little bit of income out of it. And the options were very few, really. Um, you know, the high street wasn't really offering very much by way of uh, interest rates. So I kept doing more research and more reading. So I decided to kind of split the money that I had between gold and Bitcoin. Like that, I think they call it a barbell strategy. Um, and just a certain, and there was, I guess, a third leg, maybe more of a tripod than a barbell to keep a certain amount in cash, but to split it the three ways and just kind of sit back and see where I was going to get the greater return. And of course, you know, we all know where the, I mean, gold has done quite well um, over the past couple of years, but Bitcoin is definitely the fastest horse in the race. <laughs> so I so kind of, yeah, I came to it. Say first of all, professionally, as a teaching aid. Then I was a little bit speculator, I suppose. Then when I was facing my retirement, I began to really take it a lot more seriously, personally, in terms of um, how I was going to allocate whatever money I had. And I want to ask, when your son yeah. was helping you, yes. was he like... <laughs> Did he understand what Bitcoin was? Or like, what the hell are you doing, mum? You know, where was he on this think, on this journey? Oh, yeah, well, he, he's, he's, been, he's been in it, you know, for, for he's 23. But, yeah, he, he and his mates were, were, were in. But I think they have a different approach. They've got a shorter time horizon. And I think they looked at it in the same way as they looked at online betting on football or, or whatever. Um, they were they they dabbled a little bit, um, and they would watch the price go up and down. Very very much a short term horizon, so kind of a different. But I think the millennial time horizon is quite different from my demographic's time horizon. <laughs> but I think he was quite proud that I was sort of uh, down with it, if you like. Um, he quite liked the fact <laughs> that I was keeping up with it all. Um, and I think it was just a little bit humorous, really, kind of a sort of like, you know, that I was up with all the trends. But yeah, he was helpful on the on the on the technical side because again, they're born 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 digital. Yes. Yeah, no, I think 100%. he's yeah, no, like I think he's kids. he's quite yeah, and we do talk about it. We're able to talk about it now and uh, yeah, I think he's very supportive basically. He should be. <laughs> keep stacking yeah. mum like you know yes, exactly. let, let bitcoin do its exactly. thing exactly <laughs> exactly yes it's in his interest long term i guess so uh yeah i think it's it's, it's good to um and i think again i don't want i think i am if you think of the whole sort of digital comfort thing as a spectrum I think a lot of people in my demographic are far, far, far more comfortable with it than I am, you know. And I think it's wrong to kind of dismiss, um, just like, you know, in the recent elections in America, all the Latino community was dismissed as a homogenous block. I think you shouldn't dismiss all the over 60s or all the ba baby boomers as a homogenous block of people who are like, you know, Neanderthals or digital dinosaurs. I have a lot of friends who are like real computer whizzes. And I think I'm very much at that, you know, end of the spectrum um, where it's uncomfortable for me. But a lot of people I know are like really, really fast and really, really into all the tech and all the gadgets and all the rest of it as well. So I think they're, you know, it's a, again, it's a broad, a broad spectrum. And it's so much easier nowadays yeah. when you know, back in the days, mm. if you'd have been looking that first time you found it in 2015, of course, even if you did have online banking at that stage, you would have still found it very difficult to engage with yeah. what your next step then would have had to have been to open 
uh, an account at an exchange. Right. Which again, for many people, they're like, "What? Well, what is an exchange? Yes. That, that's yes. that's the exactly. next natural step." Uh, so let's try and take that fear away from okay. people. To anyone that's yeah. listening now, how did you find CoinFloor, and uh, you know what was the sign up process like, uh, and how did you? Uh, feel well with, with that again whole... going back a little bit I was looking for something coming back I guess it would be I always like to do a bit of a kind of financial review at the beginning of the year so I was sitting back and I was thinking do I need to make any changes you know what would I like to do what are my goals my targets for 2020 on the on the money side and I've always been a saver my age group were brought up to save, not spend. Um, my parents were very credit averse. You know, they never had a credit card. Very simple. If you can't afford it, you don't buy it. You know, we were given our post office savings book when we first went out to work and we went trotted into the post office every Saturday after our Saturday job, you know, and put the money away. And that's kind of hardwired into my DNA. You know, I like that process of saving. Um, I find it very comfortable. Don't use a post office savings book anymore, but, you know, a direct debit will do. So I was looking for something that would allow me, because although it it has got a lot easier in terms of the transactions and the, the tech side of it, it's still for me something that I have to take a deep breath and kind of get myself in the right kind of um zen-like state to sort of enter into it and I thought it'd be wonderful if I could just set up a direct debit or a standing order and just you know let somebody else sort of take the money every month set up a fixed amount and then I just don't have to worry about it anymore so I was sitting there kind of scratching my head thinking where where could I go and then up on Kaiser popped a chap from I think it was Swan Swan Bitcoin And he was talking about this need or opportunity that they'd seen in the market for people who did want to save regularly. It could even be a small amount every month. And I thought, yes, that's me, that's me, that's me. So after the show, I kind of went on and tried to discover if I could get onto Swan. But I don't think they're actually live in the UK. But they then have a set, they have a connection or... um, association with CoinFloor, which is how I was first got into contact with them. And in the process of looking into it, of course, you then have to sort of know your customer stuff. You have to upload this and photograph that. Useless. I mean, I, I, I just couldn't cope. I, I, I just, I was trying to get the right format for uploading my driving license and it was the wrong, and it kept being rejected and coming back. And then out of nowhere, um, Brad popped up, a human, an actual human face. And he said, don't worry about it. If you can't manage to do it on your laptop, we can actually do it all over Skype. I thought, fantastic. So it was a little bit of hand-holding, really, a little bit of reassurance. There was a human voice. He just calmed me down. He did it all for me, all the kind of... um, you know, the, the identification stuff, very easy, very straightforward. And it was up and running. So I just set up my uh, direct debit and didn't have to think about it anymore. And it's just been fantastic. I can, they notify me every month, obviously, when the, the money's gone in, they tell me how much I've bought. I can be as as much or as little involved as I like. But basically, I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want the hassle because what was happening the year before, I'd be sitting there thinking or talking to my son, what do you think, Kaz? Is it a good time to buy today or should we wait till tomorrow? And he'd say, oh, no, mum, I think you should wait. You know, it's like, oh, it's doing this. Let's hang on for another week. And then you'd hang on for another week and then you've missed out. And it, was, it got to the point where I was so paralysed with thinking, shall I buy today? Shall I buy tomorrow? Shall I buy next week? That I wasn't buying at all. Um, and I was just getting myself in a state over it. So I thought it's, I think they call it um, dollar cost averaging, where you just commit to, you look at how much you can afford to save, 
and you set aside that much every month or every week or whatever. And then statistically over time, it kind of evens out and you're not having to worry yourself about the highs and the lows and the volatility. You just ask yourself, how much can I afford to put away every month? Set that up and off on it goes. And of course, the good thing about the direct debit system is if you want to change it, you can. You just go in and you change the amount, it's upwards. So you've got the control. And I, I'm much more familiar with working that way with the bank and with the standing order or direct debit than I am with all the wallets and the hard wallet and the this and the that. And the, no, 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 no. I'd rather let somebody else take care of it. I mean, I did my research into CoinFloor and I, I found out they were the longest established um, exchange in the UK. And then I heard Obi, I think he was also on Kaiser, so he comes across very well too. But I, I, I would say that they made it very smooth for me to actually get on board. And since then, any any time, any issue, I, I, I feel I've got, there's a human that I can reach out to if I've got a question or a concern. And again, that's probably one of the things that I dislike about the space is the, is the, the lack of human uh, contact, but you know, they were very good on that side. And I mean, th that that sounds like a better service than you would have in a legacy financial system. Exactly. Right? Exactly. 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 Yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they, they listened. They weren't patronizing. I mean, it was obvious that I was, you know, I was, you know, the, the older demographic and, you know, I didn't feel, talk nobody was talking down to me. They were very kind of um, appreciative, very welcoming, very open. Yeah, so I'd, I'd recommend anybody to, to go down that route. And it's the absolute uh, easiest thing to do for, for new people to come into the space. Yeah. I'm a very big proponent yes. of this DCA approach. Yes. Um, there's, for those listeners that haven't listened yet to my episode with uh, Friar Haas, uh -huh. uh, that's a, a DCA special. Okay. Um, and we, we actually went on a crusade towards the end of the podcast to stop calling it DCA because not everybody <laughs> uses dollars. Uh, so we want to call it FCA, fiat cost average, whether okay. it's euros or pounds or yen or dollars, yeah. wherever you are in the world. Yeah. Fiat cost average and start very slowly yes. because when you start, then you start to learn more. So since you've exactly. been on th this journey with 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 CoinFloor mm. and with your weekly purchases, mm. how much more have you found yourself reading about Bitcoin or listening to podcasts oh, constantly. or seeking out interviews? Yeah, constantly. Every, every, really? it's my, it, it does <laughs> just become, I think, what did you say in your um, podcast with Raul? It's once bitten, forever smitten. Yes. Um, rather than once bitten, twice shy. So I think it, it does kind of hook you in and you just become very thirsty for knowledge about it. And there's so much happening. I mean, it's so, it's like a kaleidoscope. There's so many different aspects and so many different moving pieces. You could never possibly be bored if you're interested in it. There's so many um, aspects of it and it's so relevant now with everything that's happening um, in the global economy and politics, um, you, you can't help. But if you're if you're interested in current affairs and if you're interested in what's happening in the world, it leads you to Bitcoin um, because it is, you know, as Raoul calls it, the life raft. Um, it just offers people. I think if you're feeling overwhelmed and if you're feeling um, disempowered, I think it just gives you that option of an alternative way. Um, and I think that's, you know, very, very enticing. Very, very enticing. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the more you, again, if once you get onto a platform like Real Vision, there's such a wealth of material there and one thing will lead you to another. I mean, I've discovered, you know, some really, really very, very interesting speakers on there and very intellectually stimulating, not only about pure like Bitcoin, but just the bigger sort of cultural picture, the social picture, the behavioral economics, the, the macro side of things. Um, and I think it, 
really, I mean, I'm very interested in emerging markets, generally having spent a lot of time over in that part of the world. And even me as a teacher, I've got students all over the world and it really irritates me. I might be doing a small piece of work that I might be invoicing for, you know, a hundred of whatever unit of currency. By the time I've got the worst possible exchange rate on that invoice, and then I've had to pay the SWIFT fee to kind of get that money from wherever it started from into my bank account. You know, I might find I'm 20% down on that invoice amount, and that really annoys me. <laughs> so I've, all, I've got many kind of um, aspects of my life that uh, take me to Bitcoin, really. If I, if I could do all my transactions in crypto, I would actually be earning what I'm earning and the money wouldn't, the transaction fee, you know, to the middleman wouldn't be there. So that's another motivation I have. So it's very micro, but it's also very macro. So really at every level, I think there's something in Bitcoin for everybody really. Have you found it's, 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 Trying, it's seeping into your subconscious and, and changing some of your fundamental behaviours as well, or, or personality in any way? Um, I think it's more... I don't know whether it's changing who I am or, or what I am, but it's it pushes buttons. You know, I think it's, it's, it's all there, but it activates things in my past as I, we were saying about my kind of early trauma, mm -hmm. it has that, it kind of draws threads together. I keep coming back to that metaphor of the carpet. I find it kind of weaves a lot of things together. So I find, I mean, here's one way it's, I suppose, yes, it has changed. I'm reading more about it. So whereas previously I might have read other kind of topics, I now spend a lot of time actually reading about it and previously i might have watched other kind of programs now i'm watching stuff about bitcoin so yes i suppose you are right it has changed my habit in that way it's changed my reading habit it's changed my um my viewing habits and also i try to kind of introduce the topic conversationally to my my friends but there's still an awful lot of resistance out there um, again, within my demographic. But it's getting better. It's softening up a little bit. I mean, when you start hearing names like PayPal, Visa coming into the space, people, you know, that actually helps people because it's something they're familiar with. And I think there's still quite a long way to go on the education front. But the more big names, the more household names um, become involved, then it's going to be easier to kind of gain momentum and gain adoption, spread the word. I come up against the the same frustrations mm. as we all do in the Bitcoin space, mm. and I, I'm I think I'm it, it dawned on me just this morning actually that instead of using the word Bitcoin when I'm talking to uh, my parents or mm. people from that generation, I'm just going to call it my savings account. Yeah, because that's what it to is. your point earlier, it is. Right? That's, all That's it is. what it is. Because it's you know, my other savings I haven't account. got a lot. I mean, I'm not, you know, so I'm not a professional investor by any means. But the bottom line is, I want to hang on to what I've got. And with HSBC, High Street Bank, starting to bring in charges on current accounts, you don't think the others aren't going to follow? That's going to be a huge wake up. I mean, people like the Daily Mail readers, Mail on Sunday readers, they're already getting quite agitated about not being able to get an income from their savings. Just let them wait until they start getting charged for using their mm. current accounts. That's going to be massive. I think that's really going to be another shift. So as it begins to, as the madness in the financial markets, the money printing, the quantitative easing, all that crazy stuff that's going on out there, when it really starts to hit home, in people's personal bank accounts and personal wallets. Again, I think that's going to just open up people's ears and eyes to what's going on. And I would recommend anybody, if anybody out there is watching, um, I, I could recommend them to watch um, Rao Powell's work on retirement. He's done mm -hmm. a couple of really 
excellent, excellent um, documentary or podcast, whatever, on the coming retirement crisis. And uh, I, I think that's really essential viewing for anybody who's in, in, in my position. It truly is. And he did nail it. And I'm so glad that you found those guys, mm. actually. Uh, they, they, it was those guys that pulled me down the rabbit hole. And I've yes. had both Raul and Grant on, uh, on oh, wow. separate shows. Uh, and they, they, um, and Bitcoin is macro. Yes. You know, yes. I, Crypto I means want, macro, definitely. Yep. Yeah. And people think on the other side of the, the they just look at, oh, the Bitcoin maximalists and whatever mm, else, they're just mm. toxic. They only know one thing. They don't realize that the whole time we have we are studying more and yes. more of the macro picture and history, like monetary history. When you read Robert Breedlove or I Parker know. Lewis I or know. these people, or gonna, safe. This is the one I'm reading now. What do you have there? This time, this time it's time different. It's, different. <laughs> it's all Who's about the history, you know, eight centuries of financial folly. Highly recommend it. Um, and it, it's, it, yes, when you read the history and when you start to ask yourself questions like, what is money? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and you see patterns and you see cycles and you, you know, you begin to really put all the pieces together. And I think really, I mean, as Raoul said, it, it just becomes really, it, it, it starts off as being quite complicated, but in the end it becomes very simple. It really is the only way. When you really take all the noise and all the kind of distraction out of it, I mean, he's a very, he's a, when you hear people, I think what impressed me a lot about people like Raoul and, um, you know, Michael Saylor, Paul Tudor, Jones, etc., big names in the space. It's the fact that they were able to say we got it wrong. They started off resisting or being negative, and then they've looked at their models, they've done their charts, they've done their homework, and they have come to the point where, in terms of asset allocation, it's the only option. And I think this is very powerful. And I think the humility, anybody who's able to say, hands up, I got it wrong. I think that's a very powerful message because there's a lot of people who've been in it from the beginning who are extremely annoying because it's all kind of like, you know, alpha male, testosterone-fueled stuff, you know, and that's really irritating. But somebody who can actually come along and say, you know, I screwed up. I got out, I got in, I got out at the wrong time. But now I've seen the light, <laughs> cross the Rubicon, whatever, however you want to put it, and they're all in. And they become, you know, very evangelical about it. And also, you know, as Raoul said, he doesn't have an agenda. He doesn't have, all his agenda is to educate and to spread the word and to actually, um, you know, make people aware, you know, and I think a lot of the problem with the financial industry in general, everybody's got an agenda, everybody's trying to sell you something, you know, there's not a lot of transparency. Um, and in those videos he's done on retirement, I think he really makes people realize, are you really aware of the risk they are taking with your money? Some of the stuff that they're putting your money in, it's not as safe as houses. And people need to take back control of their own savings and their own capital, whatever they've accrued. And I think with Bitcoin, you can. That's the fantastic thing about it. You can actually, um, you know, excuse me, just put my uh, power back in. Um, you know, you can actually make those decisions yourself. And you don't need to be, you know, a, a fund manager. You don't need to be uh, an expert in the stock market. You can just get your Bitcoin, put it away, and um, forget about it. So that's very, very appealing, you know, to actually have that independence and to have that that control. It's a um, it's a big leap of faith for your generation mm. because it's been a lifetime of trusting the banks, mm. literally a lifetime, mm, a lifetime. And to move away, I think what's harder. To move away from that or to wake up to the realization that you've been taken advantage of yeah, your whole life. Exactly, exactly. 
I mean, that's, uh, it's easier to be an ostrich in some ways and to just bury your head in the sand and kind of uh, hope it'll all go away. But again, I, I'm not, coming back to Raoul's work, I think what really drew me in was the way he talked so movingly about what happened to his own father in the financial crash of 2008. And he leads in with a really kind of moving story about the psychological damage it did to his father of losing everything. And he was a professional investor and he got wiped out and how it completely changed his lifestyle. And uh, really, um, he had, you know, a lot of difficulty dealing with it. And I think, you know, you, another thing I really enjoy about the whole the Bitcoin community is that it's very positive. It's very optimistic. You don't just have to sit there, you know, crying and whinging uh, and moaning about, oh, you know, the banks this and the government that. You know, just take back your own control. You've got a brain. Use it. You know, you've if, if I can do it with all my issues with digital phobia and like tech paralysis, then anybody can. And it's very satisfying to actually get to that point where you kind of confront your fear of change and you kind of take on that challenge. And I can sit back now and I can look at my cash, I can look at my gold and I can look at my Bitcoin and I can see which one is doing better. I'm not going to be spending it. For me, it is something that it's a saving tool. And I think even if people, you, I mean, you don't have to be all in. As you said, why not just start with diversifying your portfolio, just putting a percentage in, just as an experiment. And then like I, I did with it over the course of the year, just see which one performs better. And then you'll see for yourself, you know, which one is actually doing, is, is, is doing better out of the different assets that you've got. So, you know, you, you can start with a little amount and then just sit back and see. And hopefully if the trends continue the way they are, I mean, you have to be prepared for a little bit of volatility, but I think it's only really going in one way overall as it has been. Yeah. Volatile to the upside. That's the yes. Main that's thing. the main. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. <laughs> when you when you draw out, like when you look at it at a large at, at the big picture. Yes, which very exactly, few people do. Exactly. So I got a quick question yeah. about what happened last week in the UK. Yeah. When you're now seeing headlines in mainstream media, mm -hmm. you might hear it on the news mm -hmm. or see it on the front page. Bank of England prints 100 billion mm -hmm. pounds. I think was the latest mm -hmm. figures. How does that make you feel now? And when you have the conversations with your friends, yeah. what, what are they saying and what are you saying? Well, to me, it's just monopoly money, you know. And again, another cliche, money doesn't grow on trees. It's, it's, it's got to be paid back, you know. The debt is going to have to be repaid. And I'm sorry for my son's generation and your daughter's generation and the generations to come afterwards. It's money doesn't grow on trees. And to me, it's just, it's not backed up by anything. Whereas an asset like gold or an asset like Bitcoin, and Bitcoin being digital gold in terms of being scarce, and you can't print more of it. And to me, it just makes an even stronger case for Bitcoin because you can print money ad infinitum, but ultimately it's debasing and devaluing the actual unit currency. I mean, it's logical. You don't have to have a degree in economics. You know, scarcity, things that are scarce are valuable. Things that are not scarce, things that are, you know, mass produced and easy to find, you do not have as much value. It's, 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 it's really basic common sense. Um, you know, you, you don't have to be financially sophisticated to realize that. So when I hear about money printing, when I hear about a billion here, a trillion there, you know, it's just funny money. It's not real. And it'll be real when the taxes and the austerity comes in, where the money will be taken back from us and where the government has its done in Cyprus and all, you know, India, many places in the world where people's accounts have been raided money has been taken out of individuals' accounts to actually fill the government's balance sheet. So that could happen. 
which would be another big wake-up call to people. But I'm very cynical. To me, it just strengthens the case for for for, for Bitcoin. It's um, it's it's another good argument for it. As to my friends, I don't know. I think for them, I don't know how much because they very conveniently slipped this Bank of England announcement in with all the hoo-ha over the American elections. You know, it's it's a kind of a good day to bury bad news. I don't know how much they would really pick that up. They'll pick it up more when they get a letter from their building society saying there's been a cut in the interest rates on their safe. I think that's really going to be the trigger for them. I don't know how much they'll pick up what's going on in the Bank of England, unless you're just a little bit more aware um, than you might. But when it hits home with your money, <laughs> that's when you take notice. But for me, yeah. it just strengthens it. Just strengthens the argument. As I said, it's just common sense. You just, you know, the more you have of something, the less the value. And the way they're spinning these furlough payments as well, I, I find pretty sickening. I mean, I can't get anything. I'm self-employed. So, you know, there's a lot of people. My son is self-employed. Um, I have a lot of friends who are self-employed, but for one reason or another, they don't fit the criteria. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I have a lot of misgivings about it. Unless it's an experiment that they're trying to kind of lay the ground for universal basic income at some point down the line. Well, it essentially is, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's what, universal basic income. What's the difference? <laughs> it, 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 they call it a furlough. They call it a furlough, yeah. <laughs> it's marketing. It's marketing. If it looks like UBI well, and smells like UBI, then... <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, okay, final question. Oh, gosh. Which, uh, I ask everybody everybody on the, on the show. Uh, if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Who would I give it to and why? Probably to my partner because he is cash under the mattress kind of guy and is mistrustful even of banks. And I think there's going to come a day when that cash that he's been hoarding away under his mattress is not going to be worth anything. And he's worked very hard and, you know, he really, I haven't been able to convince him or persuade him so I think a little orange pill might actually um, help to wake him up and uh, change his ways, get that cash out from under the mattress and into a crypto wallet. Be at cost average into Bitcoin. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, if there's, I'm not sure if you've ever read, uh, there, there's a piece by uh, Robert Breedlove mm -hmm. called Masters of Slave and Money. Okay. Masters I'll make of an Slaves and Money. And this, this is a very potent uh, article. And if he prefers podcasts and listening, then Guy Swan at uh, right. Bitcoin Audible, he narrates it. Okay. And it's uh, a two-parter. But again, it, it's history. And it's yes. so yes. damn interesting. Yes. Uh, even my wife has listened to that one and, and found it very, very interesting and learning all about how uh, currency gets debased yes. through uh, counterfeiting, which is money printing is counterfeiting at the end of the day. Of course. They, again, they've marketed it. If they were to say, we've just counterfeited a hundred billion pounds into the economy and no one's going to prison for it. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, that's another, exactly. And, and they, they get away, I mean, the likes of JP Morgan, et cetera, you know, the, the rampant fraud, the big four accountants, the rampant, the fraud. I mean, it's just a wash. The whole system is just rotten to the core. And I think, again, you know, Bitcoin offers you just an alternative. You can step outside of all of that madness and just be transparent, be self-sovereign, be independent. I mean, we've worked hard. People of my demographic have worked really, really hard to um, get to where we are. And, you know, why should it be taken away? 
but you've got to accept responsibility. You know, you've got to think carefully about where you put your trust. Educate yourself. You know, really, you owe it to yourself and to your kids to really, um, whether it's reading or listening or speaking, whatever your medium is, just do your own homework. Make your own decision, make your own choices and really empower yourself. You know, that, that would be my kind of uh, sort of final words, really. Uh, wise up. Wake up. Wise up. Stack up. Love it. <laughs> Stack up. Love it. <laughs> Angela, it's so great for you to come on the show and represent not only the women uh, of the Bitcoin space, <laughs> but also your generation. Yeah. This, I hope, is going to touch many people and be shared around by some of the boomers that listen to this as well. I hope so. Who, uh, yeah. I know there are some out there and it's been great to get to know you. Yeah, and likewise. Thank, thank you. you for the opportunity. Thank you as well. Um... Thank you. Thank you for doing that that ad for, for CoinFloor because I'm sure that was probably rather nerve-wracking for you. Yeah. Uh, I think that's very brave of you to do that. And uh, it's, it's just another just another rung in the ladder of education that's that's being put out there weekly, daily, almost hourly now. Well, exactly. Space, it's what so. um, Raoul calls the hive mind. I mean, isn't that a fantastic expression? Right. I just love that idea of um, all these people, all these brains just kind of buzzing around and like firing off each other. And I think that's, that's a very, very, once you get into it, that's a very kind of exciting uh, part of the whole space, really, or all the different connections that you make. And everybody will make their own, um, mm. but it's all out there, just, you know, just waiting. Dive in. Absolutely. Hive mind and cyber hornets. Yes. And there's no stopping <laughs> us. <laughs> Thanks so much, Angela. Thanks for coming on the show. No, and my pleasure. All the very best. And good luck to you and your lovely family and uh, bon chance. And um, yeah, au revoir. Merci beaucoup. Au revoir. De rien, de rien. Hey guys, thank you for listening and thanks again to Angela for taking the time to come on and share her experience of falling down the rabbit hole and her journey into, into finding Bitcoin and how to start stacking because she felt she was not technically advanced enough to, to start that. Proved herself wrong, managed to get over those initial fears, opened an account on CoinFloor and is weekly buying as a savings plan to see her through her retirement and pass some wealth on to her son. And that's about as basic as it gets. That's what Bitcoin is becoming for people, just this savings account. And if you look at it that way, and start to explain it to people that way, then it's a lot easier for people to understand. And we have these services now, if you're in the UK with CoinFloor, if you're in the US with Swan, or if you're around the world, there are more and more options opening up. Uh, I would go and check Friar Hass, at Friar Hass on Twitter, because he lists all the services around the world where you can go and check this out and, uh, and find a service that is closest to you. So, Back to Angela, it's really interesting that she can connect that that point where she started falling down the rabbit hole decades ago when you, you, you're faced against something completely unfair in the legacy financial world or the corporate system um, and treated in, in such a manner that it, 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 when you're just not rewarded for the time and the effort that you put into something and you have to go out and, and start all over again in, in something new. Um, it, if Bitcoin had been around in those days, if we'd been on this sound money system or a sounder money system, then you have that, that kind of safety net for a little while whilst you recreate yourself. But it, the, the way that we've been completely 
beaten almost to death with this fiat system over the last 50 years or so, just like the, the boiling frogs or the simmering frogs in the, in the pan that slowly, slowly begins to boil. That's all of us now. And that's why we find so many people looking to jump out of this fiat system. And you know, what else is there? And if we can steer as many people as possible in a comfortable manner towards Bitcoin and, and keep it as simple as possible, and to companies like CoinFloor and Swan that make the onboarding process so easy and the educational side of it so much easier to understand, then we're all going to be in a better position as we move through the, the next couple of decades. So, Angela, I, I want to say again, thanks. Very brave of you to, to have done that advert in, in the first place for CoinFloor. I think it's a brilliant video. Uh, I've shown it to some family members. I'm hoping it's making a, a difference and is certainly planting a seed. And thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if people, you can't reach out to Angela because she's not on Twitter and uh, we're not going to share an email address. So you'll just have to uh, send your love uh, across the airwaves. If you do want to um, say anything and, and reach it, you, you can always send any thanks to me and I, I will forward it on. So that's probably the best way to do it. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Adam, at Adam Woodhams one for putting this show together. Brilliant job with the audio. Thanks, at Jim Reaper Music for the website, once-bitten.com. You can head over there, check out the sponsors page, find the links, and there's a shout-out to Shamari on there as well. You'll find a discount for Shamari. You can load up your Christmas stockings for your family with a, a very small fun memory card game all about Bitcoin. Scott's done a great job and uh, he got a STEM certification on it as well. So we have a Bitcoin family fun card game, STEM certified. I've got a big smile on my face. We're all moving in the right direction. Thanks, Badders, for the music. Go check out 21ism, guys. They're doing some brilliant work. The Bitcoiners are bringing it all together over there. And uh, thanks again to the sponsors, CoinFloor, .co.uk forward slash bitten swan bitcoin.com forward slash bitten appreciate your trust and let's go this is it next couple of years goodness knows moon time have a great time guys take care and look forward to the next show